Open your Bibles up to 2 Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 15. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Those are great names that hardly anybody uses. I don't know why. We have babies all the time in this church. No Phygeluses. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. You well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Father, I thank you for this guy named Onesiphorus. Thank you, Father, for his heart to, uh, to refresh and to minister to and to encourage the Apostle Paul. God, we want to be uh, that kind of person, that kind of Christian who refreshes the soul of others. Please help us. Please send your Holy Spirit to teach us and to put your word on our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Honestly, this is a passage that I think most of the time we would skip. Uh, you know, there's just certain passages they preach, certain passages they probably skip. And this would probably be one that we would normally skip. Uh, last week's passage on, on the glory of Jesus, not being ashamed of the gospel. You know, that's kind of a big passage. The next one in chapter 2 on being soldiers for Christ, that's kind of a big passage. But then in the middle, you got this passage about Paul saying, hey, these guys aren't around anymore. They left. And here's this one guy. He refreshed my soul. You know, it's kind of just details about Paul's life. And so a lot of times we might just kind of smooth right over those. But I tell you what, there's one word in this passage that just put a hook in me. Okay? I just couldn't stop thinking about it. Uh, I knew exactly what Paul meant. And, and, and so I, I want to talk about that, really that one word today. And that's the word refreshed. If you'll notice there in your Bibles, in uh, verse eight, uh, verse 16, it says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, that's a guy, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. The word refreshed in the Greek uh, means really the same thing it does in the English. It means to cool, to revive. It's a breath of fresh air. You ever, you ever hear people talk? that way? They'll say, man, that guy was a breath of fresh air. That was a breath of fresh air. That's exactly what that word refreshed means. It is metaphorically to cheer, to encourage, to provide relief. Okay. Here's the picture I have in my head. If you, if you're an agricultural person, if you come from a farm, you're going to, you're going to resonate with this. If not, may not make much sense, but the worst job on the farm, in my opinion, anyway, is cleaning out the grain bin. Okay, cleaning out the grain bin. I don't know if any of you ever done that, but it is absolutely the worst job. Okay, so you got your grain bin. It's a, it's usually a steel structure, some kind of aluminum, metal, tin, something. So, you know, it's a metal structure. And then in the bottom of it, you usually have a cone, a cement cone that goes down the bottom. And then there's an auger down there. That thing gets clogged up. Okay. And I tell you, if you ever wanted a deterrent to alcoholism, it's cleaning out the fermented corn out of a, out of a grain bin. I, I mean, I'm telling you, it, the smell is strong enough just to knock you out. I mean, you smell something, you wake up 10 minutes later. And that's how, that's how bad that fermented grain, that rotten grain is in the bottom of it. Man, just horrible. So anyway, but, but, but there's several things that make it bad. Number one is the fermenting grain. Number two is the dust, okay? You open up the door, the light shines in, and you see this, this, du- this solid cloud of dust just floating around the air, you know? You ever thought about sucking in all that? You know, where does that go? You know, but you know, there you are just breathing this dust. And then the third bad thing about it is if it's 95 outside, it's about 120.
125 inside, okay? And so you're down there in the bottom. It's 125. You're sucking in this dust. You're choking. It, 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 it's rotten grain. It stinks horribly. And about every five or ten minutes, you just can't stand it anymore. And, and about the time you think you're going to pass out or lose your mind, you scurry up the ladder and you throw open the door and you step out into the, into the air. And it's like, ah, you know, even though it's 95 out there, it still feels like you're in the mountains, you know, because you've been in the 125 and you've been choking on the dust. And it's just that breath of fresh air. Okay. That's what I think of. That's my picture when I think of the word refreshed. Okay. So what Paul is, is saying here is that he's, he's, he's got some tough things in his life. Okay. He's a prisoner. He's in a dungeon. He's chained to a Roman soldier. He's probably going to be executed. People have abandoned him. The churches he founded are not doing well. And so Paul is hurting. Okay, He's choking. He's smothering. He, he's, he, he's stifled. And in comes this guy named Onesiphorus. And the guy's ministry to Paul is like a breath of fresh air. Okay, That's the picture of this passage. Now, I don't want you to think that this is the only situation in the Bible where this occurs. Because actually it's not. Actually, there's several different uh, passages in the Bible where Paul uses this imagery. Another one, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses, um, where is it at? Verse 18. Uh, let's read verse 17 too. He says, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaeus. He says, because they have made up for your absence. Verse 18, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. Okay, so Paul, Paul lists three guys here who are guys who refreshed his spirit and refreshed the spirit of others. Last place I'm going to show you is the book of Philemon. Okay, and this is kind of interesting because because Paul actually commands this to another believer. But he says in verse 20, he says, Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Okay, stop right there. You know, we just don't talk that way, do we? You know, we, we don't we don't walk up to people and, you know, I don't walk up to Bonnie and say, Bonnie, I've, I've been on vacation for a week, I haven't seen you. I want some benefit from you. You know, encourage me spiritually. You know, we, we don't we don't really talk that way. Paul did, you know. Paul did. Paul's like, man, I want I want you to encourage my heart spiritually here. So so he says, he says, uh, I really want to receive some benefit from you in the Lord. And then at the end of verse uh, nine or twenty there, he says, Refresh my heart in Christ. Okay, so refresh my heart in Christ. So what I'm telling you is this, this happens numerous times in the New Testament where Paul uses this imagery of refreshing someone spiritually. Now, here's my observation. It's my observation, and this, this could be not, not as true maybe as I'm making it out to be, but I really think in my experience it is. There's kind of two groups of people, even in the church, even as Christians. There, there, there's a group of people who are refreshers, okay? Their mindset is, how can I bless somebody else? How can I build up the faith of somebody else? How can I invest in somebody else? They're, they're, they're refreshers, okay? And then you got the other group of people. I'm not sure what to call them. They're just not, okay? They're not, all right? Uh, metaphorically, you're in the bottom of the grain bin, cleaning out the rotten grain with choking on the dust and it's heat. It, what they do is they throw in a blanket and shut the door, okay? That, that's, that's the other group of people, all right? Uh, now, here, here's, here's where I want to be. Who are you? Okay, who are you? Which, which, which of those are you in? Which group of people are you in? Let me, let me just give you my heart. I desperately want to be a refresher, okay? 
I, I really want to be that. That's my heart. I, I, I try to be that. I feel like it. And, and I know I'm not always, but I want to be that. I want to be that to my wife. Man, more than anybody else, I, I want to be that to my wife. I want to be the person in my wife's life who, 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 who's like a breath of fresh air. I want to I be a person who, who builds up her faith, who encourages her to follow Jesus, who encourages her to love Jesus. I want to be that in my kids' lives. I, I don't want them to see a critical, mean-spirited, grumpy dad. Man, I want to be the guy in their life that is spurring them on to love Jesus more. I want to be that to my church. I want to bring that to my, to my small group. I want to be that kind of person, okay? So the question on the table is, are you that kind of person? Are, are, is that the role that you play in, in other people's lives? Now, 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 don't switch this around. Here's the really bad thing people do in sermons, okay? They, they, they hear a truth like that, you know, are you a fresher? And they look over at their spouse and they're like, man, I hope you're listening to this because you are not, you know? Your breath is not even refreshing, you know? Or kid looks up at his dad and, you know, man, you're not. You need to listen to this, dad, okay? Let, 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 me, let me tell you something, okay? All seriousness, that's sin, okay? That's sin. It, it's sin to hear the word of the Lord and not apply it to yourself and to push it on everybody else, okay? That, that, that's sin to do that. So don't do that. I want you to ask the question for yourself. Am, am I this kind of person? If I were in Paul's sphere of, of, of influence, uh, circle of friends, would I be Onesiphorus or would I be these other guys? Which are you in your family, in your life, in your church? Okay. Now let's pro- provide some theological framework before we get any, any further in this whole deal. Um, I, think, I think some theological truths that we learn from this passage, as well as other passages, is that first of all, we need each other. Okay. I'm talking about the church. Uh, that, that's the purpose of the church. That's what God made the church. I'm talking about the building. I'm talking about people, okay? We need other believers in our lives. We need the ministry of other believers in our lives. We, we call this at Lincoln Avenue, we call it Christ-centered relationship. Have you ever heard that word before? Have you ever heard that phrase before? We, we use that a bunch, okay? And what we're talking about here is spiritual friendships that are based on our common love for Jesus Christ. Okay, friendship's always based on something, right? Do people like horses together? Or they like to watch OU football or OSU football? Or they like to fish together? They like to hunt together? They like motorcycles? They like, you know, video games? Whatever. But there's always something that kind of draws people into a friendship, holds them together. Okay, what we want at Lincoln Avenue is we want to take a very diverse group of people in three different services, and we want to press them together in spiritual friendships that are based on our common love and commitment to Jesus Christ. They're not based on all that other stuff. All that other stuff can be part of it, but they're based on our love and commitment to Jesus Christ. Now, now some of you are going to say, well, pastor, why do we need each other? And I've heard people say this, we have Jesus. It's a Lone Ranger mentality. Have you ever known Lone Ranger Christians? You know, they've got a cape and they've got a mask. And they, they basically say, I don't want anybody to know me. That's why they may wear their mask. You know, and I, I don't need anybody else. Tonto every once in a while, but really nobody else. It's just me and Jesus. That's all I need. I don't need a small group. I don't need a church. I don't need a Sunday school class. I don't need an accountability group. I don't need brothers. I don't need sisters. I don't need any of that. It's me and Jesus for life. That's a disaster. Okay, that's a disaster. Now, it's not a disaster because Jesus is deficient. 
Okay? Let me, let me, let me stop and say that. There, the, it's not that Jesus isn't enough. No, he is fully enough, friends. Jesus is everything you need for every situation in your life. Jesus Christ is more than sufficient for your anxiety, for your depression, for your, your discouragement, for every trial, every struggle, every difficulty. Jesus Christ and a relationship with him is absolutely more than enough. In fact, in Acts chapter 3... In verse 19, here's what Peter says. He says, repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Okay, so where do those times of refreshing come? They come from Jesus, all right? They come from you repenting of your sin and putting your faith in Christ and that new relationship with Jesus Christ that a believer has brings times of refreshing. How does God do that? A bunch of different ways, okay? God does that through his word, okay? Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Listen to what it says. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Man, the word of God encourages us. How many of you have been, been discouraged? You've been at your wit's end. You've been pulled apart and you opened up your Bible in the morning and God gave you a promise. And man, it changed your entire outlook, you know? Yes, that happens. We, we, we're encouraged through prayer. Through, through fellowship with God in prayer, we get refreshed. We're, we're refreshed through worship and through, through, through the, the, the songs of faith, okay? But here's the deal. God uses people in all of those ways as well, okay? Not as an afterthought, not, not as an exception, but rather the rule of the Bible is that God is going to use other believers to help you live the Christian life. You say, I don't need no help, Pastor. Yes, you do, you know? You're, you're, man, that's a bad attitude to think that way. You do need help. You need help to live the Christian life. And, and God has put other believers in your life that sometimes those believers are going to use the word of God. Have you ever had someone speak truth to you? Send you a text? I love that. When people send me a verse, you know, or they call me and say, man, pastor, I've been praying this verse for you. I, I want you to be encouraged with this verse. Here's what I thought of. Here's what the Bible says, pastor, that, that I, just, I just thought that would be really meaningful to you. Man, I love that. I love that when people pray for me. I love when God sends people to put their arm around me and say, Pastor, let me pray for you. Let me pray for your family. Let me pray for your ministry. Let me pray for your own spiritual life. Man, I love it when people lead us in worship. Man, I'm so thankful for all of our musicians and all three services who lead us to worship. I'm thankful for those people. God uses people, okay? Now, some of you are not convinced, I can tell. So, we're going to do a little theological framework here, okay? Romans chapter 1, I'm going to give you four passages of Scripture that I think prove what I just told you, that God is going to use other believers in your life to help you live the Christian life. Romans chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. If you've been a part of our small group ministry, which is starting up in September, again, we're on summer break right now, we'll start back up after Labor Day, and our small group theme passage is Romans 1, 11 and 12. Here's what Paul says. I long to see you. Okay. What's Paul saying? He said, I want to get together with you. I want to meet you at Mazio's. I want to meet you at Pizza. I want to meet you at Taco Mayo. Let's get together. Okay. He says, let's, let's, let's come to each other's house. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Man, that's the kind of heart that Paul had. When Paul got together with people, you know what he was thinking? Man, how can I encourage them spiritually? How can I build them up spiritually? How can I give them something of spiritual value in their lives. Paul says, I want, to get, I want to strengthen you spiritually. But you know what? He also knows he's going to be blessed. Verse 12, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. 
The beauty of small groups is that we get to live out our faith in front of one another. It's encouraging to, to me to see other people's faith. Okay, we don't always get we get to see that at church. Some, but man, I love to go to somebody's house. I love that to go to somebody's house and to see them living out their faith. I love to go to somebody's house and see them loving on their wife or praying for their kids. Or man, that, that that's a meaningful thing to see the faith of other people. First Corinthians chapter 12. Here's our, our next theological framework here. Verse 21. Paul likens the church to a body. Have you ever heard that before? Church is the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. We are the parts, right? Fingers, toes, knees, elbows, eyes, ears. Okay. You've got all these different parts that make up the church. And here's what he says in verse 21. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, the head to the feet. I have no need of you. Paul says, you can't say that. Now, you can say it, obviously, but you'll be lying, okay? You can't say, I don't need the church. You can't say, I don't need a small group. You can't say, I don't need a Sunday school class. You can't say, I don't need other believers. It's just me and Jesus. Paul says, you can't say that you don't need the rest of the body. Why? Because the rest of the body makes up a vital ministry in your own seeking and living out of your faith in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. If you wouldn't squeeze him so hard, he wouldn't grunt like that. First Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift. Listen to this. Every born again believer has a gift, okay? Use it to serve one another. Oh, I love this. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Okay, you, you know what the picture there is? The picture there is you've been given God's grace, okay? And, and so what do you do? You, you're, you're, you're serving the Lord. You've got God's grace and you administer it to others. Isn't that a great picture? You ever think about that? You ever think of coming into your small group and you got your casserole in one hand, you got grace in the other, you know? And here you come and, you, and, you, and you're, 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 man, here, I, I want to I give. I want to invest in people. I want to pray for people. I want to encourage people in the scriptures. I want to I love on people. I want to comfort people. I want to listen to people. I want to have a ministry in somebody else's life. The Bible says you do. And it's a serious ministry too. Roman, or, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 3. 12 and 13, listen to this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any, any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Wow, could that be the case at Lincoln Avenue? Well, I assume, because it was the case, the church that the writer of Hebrews was writing to. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Man, what should we do? Because we know that that's true. Verse 13, exhort one another every day. Every day! Every day. What does that mean? Does that mean we have church every day? Probably can't do that. We got to work, right? You got to work. Every day. What does that mean? That means that every day we need to be cultivating these spiritual friendships, Christ-centered relationships with others, and exhorting one another every day, as long as it's called the day that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So, so there's four passages that form up a theological framework here that tell us this truth is true. We need other believers, okay? Paul needed other believers. Peter needed other believers. The church needed other believers. You need other believers. You need other believers to live the Christian life, to, to, to have a godly marriage, to parent your kids. You need the ministry of other believers in your life. You are that believer to somebody else. You, you, you're, you're the supply line of God's grace, carrying that to others. That's a big deal. And because it's a big deal, it's a big deal not to show up for that, Okay? Now, can we put that right here? Is that all right with everybody? If we just put right here, okay, we're putting right here that there's a theological principle in the Bible that says God works through other believers. 
to, to minister to your life, to refresh your soul, to build you up in faith. We're going to put that right here, okay? Now, on the other side, over here, we have, we have to put something else. Because if we don't, that will become too heavy and we'll be out of balance, okay? So over here, what we have to put is that those other believers are not Jesus, okay? They, they don't take the place of Jesus in your life. Jesus is your king. Jesus is your Lord. Jesus is your savior. Jesus is your redeemer. Jesus is, is everything that you need, okay? So because of that, hear this out, when these folks fail you, you're not sunk, okay? Does that make sense? You, you have to understand that, okay? You need other believers in your life, but they're just tools of Jesus that he uses to build you up. And whenever one of these tools breaks or malfunctions or doesn't work right, it doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't have other tools, okay? My doctor is Dr. Kirkendall. If ever I go into Dr. Kirkendall's office and he pulls out his stethoscope, you know, that's one of the first things he does to listen to my heart, and he puts it on my chest, and he's like, man, either you're dead or this thing's broke, you know? And, and he kind of tells he's like, man, my stethoscope broke. If that ever happens, let me tell you what I will not do. I will not stand up and walk out of there being like, great, now i got to find another doctor, you know. I'm not going to do that. You know why? He's got other tools, okay. He can, he can put his head on my chest, you know, if he has to. I mean, I mean he's got other tools. You know, in, in the same way, here's what happens. When these people disappoint you, okay, the church has come together. We serve a function in each other's life. We are to minister to one another. But when this breaks down, and let me tell you, folks, it will, okay? People will disappoint you. Just please, everybody, are we, are we all on the same page there, okay? I will disappoint you. Uh, your Sunday school teacher will disappoint you. Your small group leader will disappoint you. We, we're, we're frail. We're sinners. We're in a work in progress. And so when this fails, you don't quit on Jesus. You don't bail out. That really aggravates me. Can you tell that aggravates me? That aggravates me when people are going along in their faith and one of the, somebody else fails them. They're not there for them. And they just bail out on everything. Why would you bail out on Jesus? I mean, he's got a thousand different, a million different ways he can minister to you, Okay. Just because I blew it doesn't mean that he can't, he can't give you what you need. Not at all. L- look what happens here in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. What does verse 15 say? Paul had a bunch of people disappointed him. Okay, he'd invested in them. He'd loved them. He'd cared for them. He'd shared the scriptures with them. He'd been a part of their salvation. He'd ministered to them. What happened when Paul was in need? Not there. In fact, listen, listen to chapter 4. This, this is a great passage, by the way. This chapter 4. Hold on to this dude. Okay, verse 16. At my defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Okay, so Paul's in prison, having a rough time. He's facing execution. He has his first trial. He looks around in the courtroom. What's he looking for? Man, he wants to see a brother. You know, he wants to see a friend. One smiling face there to say, Paul, I'm praying for you, brother. I'm praying for you. Man, I'm, I'm lifting you up to the Lord, brother. Keep holding on. Be strong. Don't give up, Paul. Man, he's just looking for one face. Let me ask you, who's there? Who's there for Paul? Zero. Everybody disappointed him. Everybody deserted him. Nobody showed up to support the Apostle Paul. How does he handle that? Before we, we see how he handles that, honestly, how would you handle that? That's never happened to you. I know it hasn't. Were you, you're going to trial for your life. 
unless you guys haven't told me something, on trial, executions at stake, and nobody shows up. Nobody from your small group. Nobody. I bet it hadn't happened. But you know what I bet has happened? I bet you've been having a rough day, rough month, rough year. And you really wanted some folks in your church family to be there. And I bet, I bet there was a time where they didn't show up. How'd you handle it? Self-pity? Well, I got I to, man, I gravitate toward that. Whenever my wife doesn't show up, you know, she's not there for me. I like to feel sorry for myself. I got to pull myself out of it. Did you bail on Jesus? Give up on your faith? Stop coming to church? How'd you handle it? Here's how Paul handles it. Verse 16. May it not be charged against them. Isn't that beautiful? Paul's like, ah, you know, they didn't show up. They should have, but they didn't. It's okay. God, please, please don't hold that against them. God, it's a scary deal. I'm in prison. It's hard. It's far away. They had to travel. They got things on their plate. God, don't hold them against them. And then look at what he says next. Verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Who helped Paul? Right here. Jesus, right? Jesus. And so so here here we got the Apostle Paul. He's got other believers in his life. And he fully affirms, I need other believers. I need a small group. I need a men's accountability group. I need a Sunday school class. I need a church family. I need these other believers praying for me and encouraging me and comforting me and and, and challenging me and, and ministering to me. I need other believers in my life. But when they don't show up, no problem. Got Jesus. Jesus stands by me. He's got plenty of tools in his toolbox. He'll meet my every need. That's a great, that's a great balance, isn't it? Are we balanced? We're balanced up here now, aren't we? We're okay. Okay, let's go forward then. So here, here's what we here's what we want to figure out. How do we become a person of refreshment? Okay? We want to be a person that throws the grain bin door open. Does not throw the blanket in and shut the door, okay? We want to be the guy that throws the door open. How do we do that? I'm going to give you a couple things here. Number one, we simply need to, first of all, show up, okay? We, we need to be visible, okay? And in order for you to encourage the faith of other people, you got to be present. You got to show up. You got to be there. I know that sounds like a really simple deal. It's really, it's really pretty profound, okay? You, you got to be there. You, you've got to show up. What, what, what's the deal with verse, in verse 15 with these two guys, Phrygelus and Hermogenes? They're just not there. They're not there for the Apostle Paul. Context kind of seems like they, they failed to, fell, fell away from their faith. But, but, the, but the honest truth is they're just not present, okay? People who bail out are not refreshing, all right? So, so the first principle is show up. Show up to church. Show up to your small group. Show up to, to, to your Sunday school class. Show up to your accountability group. Show up to your spiritual friendships. Be present in people's lives, okay? It's encouraging when people are present in your life. Those are your small group leaders. Ed, Ed, it's encouraging when people show up at your small group, isn't it? Yeah, that's encouraging. Em and I had a small group one time, and uh, we started it. Nobody showed up. She cooked lasagna. I mean, we, she was cooking the first night, so she cooked the meal for every, everything. We, we had it all ready. We sat there, 6 o'clock, you know, looking out the window, you know. You know, got that, honey, 6.15, 6.30, Now, Honey, put it in the refrigerator. Let's go somebody else's group and eat, you know. We'll save ours for this week. That's what we did. It's much more encouraging when 20 people come in and add. Yeah, I mean, then you got the food shortage problem, but it's still encouraging. It's just funny. It's encouraging when people show up. You ever get a group of friends that get together to read the Bible together? 
Man, it, it's encouraging when they show up, isn't it? I like to meet with a bunch of guys on Wednesday at Taco Mine. We always, we always try to get the big booth. You know, there's one big booth. There's a day I, it just kind of happened. You know, I just assumed a bunch of guys would be coming. So I got the big booth. You know, I'm guarding it. Other people trying to get it. No, no, we got this, you know. I sat there by myself in the big booth, you know. And I felt really bad, you know. There's all these other families are crowded around a little table. Here I am. Got the big booth. I thought other people were coming. Sorry. It's encouraging when people show up. Not only when they show up, but when they show up and they live out their faith in front of you. Man, that's encouraging. You know, it's encouraging to see people read their Bible, isn't it? You ever, you ever, you ever come, you ever pop in on somebody and they read their, they're reading their Bible? Ah, that's cool. Okay. Not the whole pastor thing. You know, I've come to people's door before and they're like, okay, just a second. And they shut the door like 10 minutes later, you know, they open it up and there they all are with their Bibles. I'm like, come on. I knew that's fake. You know, what I'm talking about when you actually just, you know, you surprise somebody and man, they're in the scriptures. I love to see guys praying for their wives. I can see this all the time with Andrew and Michelle. They're in the office together, you know, and Andrew will all the time take his wife's hand and be praying for. Whenever they're, they're leaving, like he's going somewhere, she's going somewhere, I'll see him. He walks her out. He's such a gentleman. Walks her out to the car. I can see him through my window. You know, he takes her hand and, you know, or puts his arm around her and there he starts praying, you know. Andrew can pray too, by the way. Have you, you know, man, he can, he can put our seventh grade boys out at Falls Creek. You know, we just start him praying. They try to fight it for about five minutes, about seven minutes into it. They can't handle it no more. They're out, you know. But Andrew can pray, you know. So, man, he'll, he'll be out there 20 minutes later. Michelle's knees are knocking. You know, he's still praying for his wife. Makes me want to pray. Makes me want to pray for my wife. People live out their faith in front of you. It makes you, makes you want to live out your faith. Philemon, the situation of Philemon, by the way, if you don't know the context of the book, uh, it's the passage I referred to earlier, is Paul is encouraging Philemon to forgive a guy named Onesimus. Okay? So Onesimus is, is he's actually a runaway slave, and he has is, is kind of done his master wrong. And Paul said, hey, Philemon, brother, here's what I want you to do. I want you to forgive this guy. I want you to restore him. Even more than that, I want you to give him his freedom so that he can work with me in ministry. And in that context, Paul says, hey, buddy, refresh my soul. Refresh my heart. By how? How, Paul? By living out your faith. Doing what the Bible says. Man, that, that's refreshing. We had one of our best camping trips ever. I know I was gone last week and we were camping up in the mountains. And, and uh, it was one of the best trips, not because, you know, we were at Six Flags. or we, I mean, we, were, we, were, we camped the whole time, you know. Stove, tent, you know, no, not, not some of the fancy fifth wheels like you guys got with the TV that comes out, you know, fire play. No, I mean, we, we, were, we were in a tent. But let me tell you why it was refreshing. My kids, they, they ministered to each other. Hannah read Little Women to the little girls every night. You know, we all shared in the, the responsibilities of cooking and, and doing dishes together and, and, you know, taking Haven to the bathroom. Haddon did several pulls on the, on the Kelty with Haven in the back on the trails. I mean, just everybody was just eager to minister to one another. To a dad, that is refreshing. Man, that's refreshing. We, we washed each other's hair. After about four days, we all were stinking bad, you know. And so uh, we heated some water on the little camp stove. We're up at 9,000 feet. We got our coats on. And we, each person, I kind of felt like I was with the disciples, you know, washing Jesus, uh, washing the disciples' feet, you know, because we washed each other's hair, you know. Got to dunk Haddon, you know. But, but that was, it was just, I know that sounds silly. You guys are like, man, on our vacation, we stay in a five-star hotel. You know, we wash each other's hair, you know. That's how, I guess, much hicks we are. But, uh, 
But I loved ministering to one another. That, that's a refreshing thing, to, to live out your faith with a group of believers. Number two, we've got to go quickly here. Uh, number two, refreshers pursue, okay? Pursue. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is people who are refreshing to other people's souls, they pursue Christ-centered relationships with other people. Notice verse 17. Here's how Paul describes this guy. But when he arrived in Rome, okay, so this guy on his force arrives in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. Why does Paul say that? You know why? Because it's significant. It's significant that this guy took the time to find the Apostle Paul. He didn't know where he was. He knew he was in jail. Man, it's hard to get in our Woodward jail now that, that, that they've done all the changes. It's really difficult to get in there. Can you imagine how difficult it was to get in the jail in the dungeon at Rome? I mean, this guy had to, had, he probably had to bribe people. He probably had to ask a hundred people, you know, about the Apostle Paul. He probably had to go cell to cell. He probably, who knows what he had to go through, but he initiated the relationship. This guy said, I am going to get with Paul and I'm going to encourage his heart. Okay. He was the initiator in the relationship with the intent to bless the apostle Paul. Folks, that's what a refresher is. Now, now let me just say this. Here's my attitude. Okay. And I think you should adopt it as well. My attitude is I will always have to be the initiator. That's just the way I look at it. I I just, I think to look at it any other way is, is not good. But the way I look at it is, I'm always going to have to call. I'm always going to have to text. I'm always going to have to invite. I'm always going to have to say, hey, let's get together. I'm just going to try to be that person in other people's lives, okay? But when other people initiate, I'm just going to be blessed by being refreshed, okay? But, but don't turn it around. Don't be like, yeah, you hear, Pastor? None of these guys are ever inviting me. No, don't, don't do that. Don't go there. That's sinful, Okay? You be the initiator. You be the one who pursues Christ in a relationship with other people to bless them. Some people live their whole Christian life sitting back saying, when's somebody going to come after me? Anybody in here like that? That's, what, that's, that's, your, that's your mode of operation is, I'm just waiting. Stop waiting and start being a refresher. Now, there's some obstacles to this, honestly. Okay, I'm putting this... Over here for now. Okay. That's significant. Because what I'm about to tell you is my own opinion. Okay. Whenever I'm telling you my own opinion, I just want to put that right there. Okay. I think it's right. Okay. But uh, it's, I didn't get this stuff from the Bible. I just got this stuff from observing people. There's obstacles in being a pursuer of relationships, Christian relationships with other people with the intent to bless them. Let me give you some. Here's, here's some from men. Okay. Men. Here's three of them. Number one, guys, we tend to be a user. Okay, guys tend to have a user mentality. In other words, when they find out that somebody works for a certain company, that they could sell them something, then all of a sudden they want to play golf with them. All right. When, when guys figure out that somebody has a lease, that there's some big bucks on them. Hey, all of a sudden, hey, you might, we ought to be friends. Let's have a spiritual relationship, you know. But if, if, if they don't have a certain use for somebody, a lot of times they don't pursue the relationship. Obstacle number one for guys. Obstacle number two, transparency. Guys, friendship is built on letting people know who you are. Here's the the mode of operation of a lot of guys. Their marriage is falling apart. Their spiritual life is tanked. Their Their kids are going wild. Their house is stressed. Their job is terrible. They're about to twist off and lose it. And they walk through those doors and someone says, How you doing, brother? What do they say? Man, I am awesome. How are you? You doing good? Man, it's good to see you. No, everything's great. You know, have you met my lovely wife? And she's going, you know, come over here, honey. You know, 
What we call that, guys, is being a fraud, a faker, and a poser. And I know why we do it. We don't want anybody to be burdened with our problems. But you know what? Real friendship is really hard to achieve if you're being a faker. Number three, for a lot of guys, is simply we resist depth. A lot of guys stay on a very shallow level. They stay in the kiddie pool. They're on, they're on the little donut sitting in three inches of water. And that's all they ever get to. I'll get to you ladies here in just a minute. Stop laughing. <laughs> guys, there's a real tendency for us to just be college football, big bucks, trophy fish, and video games. And that just doesn't build very good friendships. Ladies, all right, a couple for ladies. Uh, obstacles for ladies, empty tanks. There's an uber mom syndrome in our society. Have you noticed that? Uh, it's, like, it's like if you don't give your kid this, this outstanding birthday party with ponies and sky riding that you're not a good mom. Have you, have you seen that? I mean, man, there's just this compelling thing in society that moms think, they, man, I don't even remember having a birthday party, you know, outside of my family. You know, I tell my wife that all the time. But women put all this pressure on themselves to be everything to everybody. And sometimes we've got to figure out what are the big rocks and what are the small rocks. It's the Mary and Martha principle. Remember that in the Bible? Okay, now I'm picking my Bible back up. Remember Mary and Martha? You got Martha. What's, what's Martha? What's Martha worried about? Man, she's hors d'oeuvres, you know. When are the spinach dip going to be ready? And the, the floor is not mopped and the curtains are not pressed and everything is not ready. And Jesus is like, Martha, Martha, get a clue, sister. Get at Jesus' feet. We can go without spinach dip. Put in some pizza rolls. It'll be fine. Number two, inability to compartmentalize. This one's a little difficult. Hopefully I'll explain this well. But here's what I've seen about men and women and friendships. Men actually are better at this than women most of the time. Men have the ability to compartmentalize. In other words, I have the ability. I've got some guys in my life that that I meet with on a regular basis. We talk about spiritual things. We pray for each other. We do spiritual battle. But they're not really a part of anything else in my life. In other words, our families don't get together. We don't go on vacation. We don't recreate. We don't. I mean, we just don't. And, And that's fine. You know, nobody cares. Oftentimes, women, when they're looking for the friend, you know what they're looking for? They're looking for the all-around friend, okay? The everything friend. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about? Maybe, maybe you go. Again, this is not from the Bible, but this is what I've, what I've observed. A lot of women, they're looking for the all-around friend. In other words, we do everything together. Our kids are the same age, and we, we go on play date, and we go to McDonald's, and we, we do our hair together, and we go to Hobby Lobby, and we decorate together. And when we come into church, we're like, hey, we sit together, and, you know, we're friends forever for all, you know. If that's what you're looking for, I don't think she's here. You know, I don't think she's anywhere. I think you're looking for a replacement to your husband, I think is what you're looking for. So I think, I think ladies, we have to be okay with, you know, I've got this friend and, and we meet together, but we don't do everything together. And that's okay. Number three, and this is just real, priority of the children. Um, I think God wired moms to be all out for their kids. And, and that's okay. But it does create difficulty in building the right kind of friendships to spiritually enrich others. And then finally, fourthly, uh, for ladies, um, ladies get their feelings hurt easier. Um, Perseverance in relationships is harder, I think, for women, uh, simply because, you know what's going to happen if you're somebody's friend long enough? They're going to hurt your feelings. And how are you going to deal with that? You know, how are you going to deal with that? I always give this, this to me, I've I've said this a bunch of times at Lincoln, but this is the great example. If If I walk into a restaurant 
You know, if I walk into a restaurant and, uh, and Ed and uh, David are in there and Michael and they're in there eating, you know what my first thought is? Man, that's awesome that our brothers get together. And they're, sh- they're, they're sharing with each other's lives and they're encouraging each other. I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled. My second thought is, I wonder if I sit down if Ed would buy, you know? I mean, that, that's my second thought. So I got, I got two thoughts going through my head, okay? Now, a lady comes into a restaurant. Two of her friends are eating together. What's her first thought? Again, you, you might say, Pastor, you're all full of water. It's not from the Bible. This is not me. Okay, fine. But in my experience, what's her first thought? Why didn't they invite me? You know, and then, and then she's, she's, she's awkward. She wants to just slip out of there. She's trying to get out. I don't think so. Oh, no, they saw me. Oh, no. You know, now what am I going to do? I don't want to go say that. You know, I mean, she, it's just that whole kind of struggle. Okay. All right, now we're picking our Bible back up. Whatever your obstacle is, and maybe those are all wrong, and you're like, man, Pastor, that was the stupidest thing I ever heard. Those are all completely wrong. My obstacle is this. Okay, great. Whatever your obstacle is, Here's the deal. You got to push through it. You got to push through it. Whatever it is, whether you're shy or you're, I don't know, you don't have any money or whatever your obstacle is, you need to push through it to become a person who pursues, hear that? Pursues Christ in her relationships with the intent to bless other people. Number three, we don't have time for it. Number four, there's going to be a reward on the judgment day for those who refresh the souls of others. Look at what Paul says in verse 18. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. Okay, here's, here's what's compelling to me, okay? You, you might have considered this sermon to be not that significant in the sense of I'm just taking this, this word, this refreshed and, and giving a couple other passages and talking about how to refresh people's souls. Here's why I think you, you and I better listen well to this. Because Paul grabs what Onesiphorus did and he takes us to the judgment day. And he says, on the judgment day, may, may this guy receive mercy from God because of what he did for me. And so what, what I want to show you is, I really think that's the teaching of the New Testament. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, anybody who gives a cup of cold water, what's that? Refreshment. To one of these little ones, he will by no means lose his reward. Remember what he said in Matthew 25? In Matthew 25, he takes us to the judgment day. That's the day, by the way, that Paul's talking about in this passage. He takes us to the judgment day, the day of all days, the day when your whole life is going to be laid bare before God, the day when you'll be judged for your sins, the day when you'll give an account for your life, the day, the only day really that ultimately will matter for billions of years. And on that day, here's what's going to happen. First of all, God's going to separate believer from unbeliever, sheep from goat, damned from, from redeemed, lost from saved. God's going to separate those two groups and then to the Saved, he's going to say this in verse 35. I was hungry and you gave me food. What, my friends, is that? That's the ministry of refreshment, is it not? He says, when I was thirsty, you gave me drink. What is that? Ministry of refreshment. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. Friends, what is all of that? That is exactly what Onesiphorus did for the Apostle Paul. Verse 37. The righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you drink? When do we see you a stranger and welcome you in and naked and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he turns to those 
on his left. Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then also will answer saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And I will answer them saying, truly I say as you did it, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Certainly we don't take from that passage that we are saved by good works. We know we're saved by grace. We know we're saved by being connected to Jesus Christ's work on the cross for us through faith and repentance, right? We know that, church. But what we also know from that passage is that if Jesus Christ lives in you, it's going to demonstrate itself in certain works. And according to this passage, many of those works are going to be your ministry to other believers. In other words, if the Holy Spirit's in you, that's going to come out. By you investing in other people in their spiritual life. So I think this is a big deal. It's a big deal now because it has huge benefits now in people's lives. Man, I tell you what, I think I'm still a pastor because I've had people in this church who refresh my soul. When I was about to quit, they come in, they built me up, they strengthened me in faith. God used them. It was one of God's tools to use to give me grace. So there's benefit now, but oh man, the benefit for eternity, I'm not sure that we can get our heads around what that mercy on that day is going to look like. So let's strive to be people who pursue Christ-centered relationships with the intent to bless others for their spiritual good. Thank you, Jesus for being the refresher of our souls. Jesus, you're everything you need. we need. Jesus, your word is good, Father. It, it strengthens us. It encourages us. It inspires us forward. God, you are good. And Lord, thank you for the people of God. Lord, I, we know we're not perfect, God. We know that we, we fail, we struggle, we sin. But God, I'm so thankful that, that you use other people to build up my faith. And God, I pray that you'd use me to build up the faith of others. God, help us to be people who pursue that. In Jesus' name, amen.